0: الحمد لله الحمد لله الذي هدانا لهذا وما كنا لنهتدي لولا ان هدانا الله يا رب لك الحمد اناء الليل واطراف النهار واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له له الملك وله الحمد يحيي ويميت وهو على كل شيء قدير واشهد ان سيدنا ومولانا وحبيبنا محمدا صلى الله عليه واله وسلم عبده ورسوله لقد جاءكم رسول من انفسكم عزيز عليه ما عنتم حريص عليكم بالمؤمنين رؤوف رحيم فان تولوا فقل حسبي الله لا اله الا هو عليه توكلت وهو رب العرش العظيم من يطع الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فلا مضل له ومن يعص الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فلا هادي له اللهم اجعلنا من الذين يستمعون القول فيتبعون أحسنه أما بعد Dear committed brothers and sisters, Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala says, What either a Radina Nuhlika Kariatan Amarna Mutrafiha Amarna Mutrafiha Fafasaku Fiha. We visit this ayah from time to time, it's an ayah from Surah Al-Isra' and it speaks about the rise and fall of empires and civilizations and power structures These precious words from Allah: "Wa idha an If we, Allah Jalla Shatnu, who is speaking, if we want to destroy a social unit, we give the decision-making. Role in that social unit to its wealthy class. That's the which means we have made its wealthy class its ruling class. This is the first sure sign. That that society is going to collapse. Okay, now we have the combination of the ruling class with the wealthy class. What happens after that? What results in that is they cause a degeneration a degeneracy of that particular society the society begins to come apart it can come apart because of issues that pertain to anything that will divide people if race divides people that becomes one element of the disintegration. If it's an, ethni- a, an issue of eth- ethnicity, then that becomes another issue. If, an issue. if it's an issue of gender, then that is added onto the list. Whatever issues there are in society, the polarization between the rich and the poor, The few that are very rich are on one extreme and the many who are very poor are on the other side or the other extreme. This is what happens in societies that the ultimate decision makers are the most wealthy in that society. Allah tells us, Allah is giving giving us this valuable information so that we can look around and see what is happening to us. especially if we are located inside such a social reality as is the case here as is the case this is the case in America it is the case in Arabia and it is, is the case in other places but these are the two places that immediately concern us this is where we live here in America and our our faith was born in Arabia so in these two places, this ayah is spot on. Now, the issues of division we've we've dealt with the dynamics of why Muslims are divided. Muslims are basically divided because we've been brainwashed for around fourteen centuries to think of ourselves either as superior Muslims or inferior Muslims almost everyone thinks about his conviction as superior and some other Muslim who doesn't share the exact same conviction as being inferior this is the divisive back and forth that we've been living through throughout these centuries We've concentrated our attention on many of these uh, fiqh issues that have caused these types of divisions. And because the people who are in power, they use these divisions, there's another complementary ayah to the one I just quoted from Surah Al-Isra. The other ayah is in Surah Taha. إِنَّ فِرْعَوْنَ عَلَى فِي الْأَرْضِ وَجَعَلَ أَهْلَهَا شِيَعًا يَسْتَضْعِفُ طَائِفَةً مِّنْهُمْ يُذَبِّحُ أَبْنَاءَهُمْ وَيَسْتَحْيِي can إِنَّهُ كَانَ مِنَ الْمُفْسِدِينَ The long and short of this ayah is the pharaoh the the ruler of the sole superpower in the world that's the status of the pharaoh he disempowers people how does he do that he goes about that by causing them to live in their particular divisions and those are the divisions we spoke about these are divisions of color divisions of creed divisions of communities divisions of congregations and this is what this is the disease that is in our bodies Rarely do you come across a very mature Muslim Who considers the other Muslim an equal? Bypasses all of these divisions and can look with the insight of Allah and say the other Muslim is my brother He may pray differently. He may do certain aspects of his rituals differently, but that doesn't matter that state of maturity unfortunately is not prevalent among we the Muslims and therefore to cure our internal selves we have to sweep away these divisions and we can only do that by concentrating our minds on them and so this khutbah is yet another contribution to concentrating our minds on what what is permissible among us but should not divide us should not put distance between us that's what we have to do so let's take a uh, an example it's easier to look at historical issues let's take yet another example of what happened in our early history uthman the third successor to the muslims meaning the third successor to the prophet as leader of the Muslims. He went on the hajj. When in the, uh, the Muslim seat of power was in al Medina, And you go to hajj, you go to Mecca. So he went from al Medina to Mecca. <clears throat> when he went there, of course, we we still living at a time when the political leader was the religious leader, there was no schism between the two so at Mina, in the Hajj when you go to Hajj, the Prophet of Allah may Allah's peace and blessings be upon him, and the, the two successors before Uthman, Abu Bakrin and Umar, when they led the prayers, they led The prayers of Al-Dhuhr and Al-Asr Qasran wa Jam'an They abbreviated their salah Instead of the four rakahs They made them two Al-Dhuhr was two rakahs Al-Asr was two rakahs And they combined them They prayed them at the same time Now Uthman comes to the hajj And he leads the Muslims in prayers And he prays Al-Dhuhr four rakahs And he prays al-Asr for raka'as. That's a departure from what the Prophet did. So, let's say something like that happens in our world. Some Muslims pray two raka'at for each al-Dhuhr and al-Asr and they pray them combined. The others pray four, instead of two raqahs they pray four. What are we going to do here? We're going to divide ourselves. We're going to accuse ourselves. We're going to generate bad feelings about this. Now for your information, this is the explanation that was given to Uthman for him doing this. Why did he do this? This explanation is going to generate a question mark. Which I will skip, but I'm going to give you the explanation. When Uthman went from al Medina to Mecca, he got married, and when he got married, he considered himself at home. He he didn't he no longer considered himself a musafir, and a musafir is given the license of shortening the salah from the salah has four rakahs in it to shorten it from four to two rakahs so when he considered himself at home now I'm no longer a musaf it's true I came from Medina but yeah, I just got married and I'm here this is my home this is my wife's place etc besides he's originally from Mecca so whatever the case is we're not trying to rationalize something and we're not trying to score against anyone we're just trying to understand ourselves. That's all we're trying to do. And when we understand ourselves, we should say, "Well, there's room for this." No one should get uptight. No one should get nervous or agitated because someone is doing it this way and someone else is doing it that way. We're not doing it for ourselves. We're doing it for Allah, Jalla wa Ala. So let's let's mature, grow up a little and make room for these types of fiqhi convictions. They're all equal. Can we get that straight? They are all equal. Now let's take two madhabs as an example of uh, some people who get very worked up because of their madhhabi affiliation. In the madhab of Al Imam Malik, you'd, when you read the Fatiha or when you read a surah, you don't begin with Bismillahir Rahmanir rahim you, you begin, you, let's say I'm reading Qulhu Allahu Ahad. I don't say Bismillahir Rahmanir rahim Qulhu Allahu Ahad. I just say Qulhu Allahu Ahad. That's a madhab. We have there are hundreds of millions of Muslims like that. In the madhab of Imam al-Shafi'i, if you don't say Bismillahir Rahman al Batulat your salah is void. Now let's say we have followers of an Imam Malik and followers of Imam al-Shafi'i. They are in their prayers. And let's say, the Imam now is a Maliki. He knows what his school of thought says, but he also knows behind him there are Shafi'is that believe, are convinced that you have to say, Bismillah ar-Rahman Now, in the Maliki Madhab, if you don't say, Bismillah Rahman ar-Rahim I mean if you say Bismillah Rahman Rahim, it doesn't void your salah. So in this position, if a person is leading the salah, he's a Maliki of the Maliki Madhab and he knows he has a mixed crowd of Muslims behind him. Is it better for him to stick with his personal Maliki madhab? That makes room for saying Bismillah Rahman doesn't prefer it, but it makes room for it. Or does he insist on his Maliki madhab and do, don't say Bismillah Rahman Rahim, therefore hurting the feelings or even the convictions of some who don't share his madhab? What do you do in a case like that? In the in the In the class of the rulers, the people who like us to be divided, they would insist that you stick to your madhab. And it's even better to become a fanatic about your madhab. Why? Because it alienates you from the rest of the Muslims. That's the way it should be. That's how they continue to rule over us. And we sort of have to get used to that get used to the fact that that's the way they want it that's not the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants that's the way they want it we have to outgrow this another issue that would come up imagine all of you, alhamdulillah I think I can vouch for you all of you, you pray and you know in salat al dhuhr and al-asr you pray to yourself, you don't pray in a voice that can be heard by the others, right? Everyone knows this. But not everyone knows that the Prophet of Allah, may Allah's peace and blessings be upon him and his, that during Salat al-Dhuhr, he used to express some ayat out loud and those who were with him used to listen to these ayat. Let me quote to you in Sahih Al-Bukhari for those uh, it would be imagine someone doing this now in our time what the reaction would be but this is the this is the piece of information that those who have power and wealth this type of piece of this type of information they will not feel comfortable if it becomes common knowledge it says in the first two rak'ahs of Salat Al-Dhuhr, in which you read Surah Al-Fatiha, and another surah with it, كان الآية أحيانا The narrator said, he would have us listen to the ayah sometimes. I Meaning we could hear him reading these ayahs sometimes. From another source, to make the same point from another book of Hadith, and this one is in Nasa'i via Al Bara ibn Azib, this is what it says Kunna Musali Khalf Nabi الظُّهْرِ We used to pray behind the Prophet Salat مِنْهُ Wanasmau الآية بَعْدَ الآية. and we would hear him recite one ayah after the next from surat luqman and from surat dhariyat they were specific they, they 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 knew the ayat that he was reciting because they heard it very clear the prophet used to do this from time to time to show that it is permissible Now you've prayed, I'm sure, alhamdulillah, you have some year, many years of experience in your life. You've been around, you've been a ma'moom, and there's an imam leading the prayer. When did you hear any Imam express some ayat vocalize some ayat in Salat al Wuhar or Salat al Asr? after reading Surah al-fatiha when was the last time you heard that when was the last time you experienced that when was the last time you heard about that and you know the answer to yourself and the answer comes from the fact that there has been a systematic transition of information throughout these centuries to have us chained or locked into a particular conviction that that, that it, th- does not even tolerate the Sunnah of the Prophet when, it, when the Sunnah of the Prophet is there it's written in the books but try try to disclose this type of information to those who have rigidly chained us into a particular school of thought now there are some issues that as much as we want to reconcile ourselves with each other it becomes a little difficult i'm going to give an example here one of the shuru of a salah one of the conditions of a salah is to identify the direction of the qibla everyone knows that what if you and I, just the two of us, we were out in the countryside somewhere or in the desert or some some place where we sort of lost direction and we don't have a compass with us, we don't have a cell phone, I have anything. So I think the the qibla is in one direction and this is the best my heart and my mind can determine. And you think the qibla is in another direction. Let's say I'm thinking the qibla is in a northward direction you're thinking that qibla is in a westward direction as much as we want to pray together jama'ah but because we can't determine which way is the qibla with certainty then we are excused in this this is an exception to the rule we're excused here we just make room for each other this is the best i can understand it the direction to be. So I'm going to pray this way and you can pray that way. Alhamdulillah, may Allah accept from all of us. That's it. Anything anything divisive about this? Anything that will generate bad feelings or misunderstandings? Nothing at all. We, we can go on to speak about al wudu'. There's something called al-masah wa-tadliq. You know, some Islamic schools of thought says say, I'm not going to go into specifics here not to bring up that issue of divisiveness, but suffice it to say, some Islamic schools of thought say, when you wipe your head, you have to wipe your whole head. And some of them said, no, a partial wiping would suffice. It's good enough. Likewise, when we perform our wudu, some schools of thought said, when you put water on your, let's say, arm, or your face there's something called tadlik. you have to rub that water on others say no it's enough just the water to pass on it's not necessary to rub all of your arm or your face as long as the water covers it all that suffices now if someone is someone agrees with one opinion and doesn't agree with the own opinion but he sees the imam performing it in the way that He's not comfortable with that means he doesn't pray behind that iman is that what it means when you decide that that's what you're going to do you've fallen into the trap of those who have the power and the wealth to divide you that's what you've done you've contributed to the division of the muslims when allah says that we should be together that we should be solidified, consolidated, and united. Another very small example, let's say there's a bird dropping, there's a bird up there on the tree, and there's a, there's a cistern of water down here, that, out of which we make wudu, and there's a bird dropping that landed into that cistern of water, into that little pool of water. One Fiqhi school of thought says you can't make you can't that water is no longer uh, no longer qualifies to be water for wudu. The other one says no, it's no problem. So what do we do here? Once again, we make an issue that is going to divide us because of this. If your mind and your heart feels doing is comfortable doing this one way or the other Alhamdulillah that's it, that's the end of it we don't need someone to come and lecture us or try to make us feel inferior because they hold another point of view all of these are equally legitimate Islamic fiqhi judgments and decisions all of them just we can't get that straight we can't accept that much they take away this instrument of division from those who have been dividing us all along and then finally i want to bring to your attention something that not many muslims know even some muslim scholars are not aware of this in the islamic currency there's two denominations one of them is called a dinar and the other one is called a dirham a dinar is made out of gold a dirham is made out of silver (coughs) now when you you take a look at the books of fiqh When these books of fiqh are speaking about someone stealing something, or the issue of the mahar, or dowry, or sadaq, when someone is getting married, a nikah, or a diya, if you're pay, paying blood money, someone was killed, and so whoever killed that person has to pay what is called a diya. In all of this literature that speak about asrīqa, a nikāh, a diya, they speak about the dinar equals 12 dirhams. Okay, up until now it's fine, but then we go to two other issues when we speak about a zakāh and el jizya all of a sudden the literature changes and it says 1 dinar equals 10 dirhams why not the consistency no one has ever dealt with this issue up until uh, uh, to the best of my limited human knowledge I haven't come across anyone who could explain to us why in some Islamic chapters that deal with a seriqah, and nikah, and a diya, a dinar is equal to 12 dirhams, but when you come and speak about al jizya and the zakah, the dinar equals 10 dirhams. Maybe one of the answers to the question is there's no longer a dinar or a dirham. An Islamic dinar doesn't exist anymore, and an Islamic dirham doesn't exist anymore, so it went off the radar. We deal with The currencies that we deal with even though they may have some currencies have the name dinar and other currencies have the name dirham that's true but they're not tied in with gold and silver they're tied into the capitalist system of the world the dollar and the euro and the UN and that's what they're tied into it's no longer an Islamic economy. So maybe one of the reasons our brilliant minds in our time have not tackled this issue is because Islamic economics no longer exists. And imagine the divisions, Well, the little piece of information I just expressed to you, these people on the top who are dividing us on the bottom, if they throw this issue out in the public, and then we begin, begin to have some of these scholars for dollars, promoting this division or trying to undermine islam altogether look at your books look at how they define the dinar and the dirham one in, in this chapter it's defined this way the other chapter it's defined that way allahumma <laughs> arina al-haqqa haqqan warzuqna attiba'ah wa arina al wa warzuqna jtinaba, wa anna hathihi ummatukum ummatan wahida wa anna rabbukum fa'budoon وَأَنَا رَبُّكُمْ فَاتَّقُونَ أقول قولي هذا وَأَسْتَغْفِرُ اللَّهَ لِي وَلَكُمْ ودعوه سُبْحَانَهُ وَأَنْتُمْ عَلَى يَقِينٍ بِالْإِجَابَةِ وَتُوبُوا إِلَى اللَّهِ غَافِرِ الذَّنبِ وَقَابِلِ التَّوْبِ شَدِيدِ الْعِقَابِ وَإِلَيْهِ الْمَصِيرِ Alhamdulillahi bi jami'i al-mahamid ala jami'i in niam Wa sallallahu wa sallam ala al-mab'uuthi khayran wa rahmatan wa hudan umam Muhammadin al-Nabi ummi wa alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam Dear Committed Muslims An Asirat al Mustaqi. If we had our minds cleared of these fiqhi, intrusive, problematic issues, if we had our mind cleared on this, then we would elevate our thoughts and our feelings to deal with the real issues of life. Issues that are centered around justice, around equality. And eventually around peace when you have justice and equality peace is almost a given but because they have us the Muslims in this world bogged down sinking into these fiqhi stereotypical impressions of the other it, it becomes very difficult to open up these vital issues but alhamdulillah we can say at least for ourselves we have cleared much of the fog and the smoke that has interfered with us having a clear vision of who we are and where we are going one of the issues as we have been living in the past over two weeks is this Saudi writer who was killed in a Saudi consulate in a Muslim land and obviously I'm referring to Jamal Khashoggi The Saudi consulate in Istanbul in Turkey this has been making the rounds all over the place one of the things that seem to be absent from this news item from whichever source you go to is that is the timing of it coincidental this country here the United States going to have By the reckoning of most observers if not all of them the most important election in its history come the first Tuesday in November what you make your calculations today is the 19th that's 11 days and 6 about 17 days from now it's going to be the most important election in the history of this country Is the timing of this particular incident coincidental that it takes place as the electorate here and you know the electorate here is not only deciding the future of this country it's also deciding the future of many other countries in the world and then all of a sudden we have this breaking news about this incident the killing of one person overshadows the killing of populations. The 50,000 Muslims who are killed in Yemen, of course, 50,000 is just a guesstimate. No one really knows. Officialdom lost count at about 14,000, which was about two or three years ago. That's when they stopped counting. And during that time, there's been an escalation of these assaults and attacks on innocent 14 to 15 million people could starve to death and why aren't the Muslims speaking about this all around the world why because they have us bickering and fussing and chattering about the fiqhi issues that I've just described are compared to what we're talking about issues of trivia in comparison I'm not saying they're not important issues but in comparison they are trivial but that's where we are in the real world that's where we are you can go to the masajid you have the freedom to go around and I encourage that Go around to the other Masajid, listen to other khatibs and preachers and Imams, the sermons, the khutbas they give from the Minbar. What are they talking about? When our blood is flowing, when our divisions are very deep, and look what they're saying, as if you know we live they live, or the world is in one planet and they are in the other planet there's uh, in the middle of all of this, this this what's called 2030 vision the Saudi dictator who's the crown prince has this grand scheme of turning Saudi Arabia into an economic marvel by the year 2030 notice that he goes he doesn't go by the Islamic calendar just like the currency doesn't belong to an Islamic economy. The same way here, the media doesn't belong to an Islamic principle. So he has this vision. One of one of it is a four hundred million dollar contract with Hollywood. He's. Uh, I, I guess it's coming this coming week. There's supposed to be an invest an international investment conference. In Saudi Arabia, they're they're beginning to pull out. The investors of the world, the financiers, the entrepreneurs, they're pulling out because one person was killed. They're not pulling out because war crimes have been committed by the Saudi regime against populations in their hundreds of millions in North Africa, in Asia, all over the place, in other parts of the world. Not concerned with that. They're concerned with one person who dies a few weeks before the major elections in the sole superpower of the world. That's what they're concerned with. Concerned with, in other words, they're concerned with money. Money has become their god. You know, once a statement was given by one of the. He's referred to in, in the common literature as a Sufi. He ascends the minbar. And he says to the Muslim crowd At Jumu'ah prayers ma تَعْبُدُونَ تَحْتَ qadami That which you conform to and worship Is beneath my foot Of course, they can, this is heresy, this is crazy He said a bad statement, this is unacceptable This is kufr, this is that It just so happens that he was referring to them, the Muslims at that time, this is hundreds of years ago, they were adoring, they were virtually worshipping money, wealth. And it turned out beneath that masjid that he was in, there was a treasure. So he literally he was not lying but that mind that cannot tolerate to see the sincerity in the other muslim immediately pointed the finger of accusation at him this is what happens this is what we have today you tell tell the muslims of, of the world what you are worshipping they in the ritualistic habitual automatic sense They worship Allah. But when it comes to what's inside of them, what has taken control of their core selves, it's the wealth and power. These are the new idols of the world. And because that Saudi regime has wealth, and it is backed by those who have power, because it doesn't have power by itself, So Muslims, they pay their tributes to that false god in Arabia. Am I extending someone's mind too much? You can't understand this? Their embassy here, which every year used to celebrate their national day, it canceled the celebration this week because of these events. The ambassador left, the ambassador who's the brother of MBS, left. And some news sources say he's not going to return. Other news sources say the new ambassador in town is going to be the daughter of Bandar, who used to be the ambassador here for all of those years, one of the criminals who was behind the issue here at the Islamic Center his daughter is coming according to some news sources she's right now one of the choices to become the ambassador here in Washington DC and then we have another bit of information that may have not made it to your attention and that is Khashoggi's wife in Saudi Arabia Said, I never heard of this Turkish lady, her name is Khadija Jankiz. I've never heard of her. Where did she come from? How did, what, how, now there is profound perplexity in Khashoggi's family in the Arabian Peninsula. Where did this come from? And then other news items have it that this Turkish lady who we are told accompanied hashokshi to the consulate there she used to belong to the Fethullah Gulen group of people and then she switched sides now she's with the ruling party there and there are diplomatic and trade relations between Turkey and Israel and so she went on one of these courses with the Mossad this makes the whole issue very very murky especially if you know that she was outside of the consulate for three or four hours what was she doing First of all, why didn't she accompany her husband-to-be, if that is true, into the consulate? It doesn't show her trying to walk into the consulate with him. And then why did she wait between three or four hours to call the authorities? Something's happening here. And then we have reports that there was a pedestrian who heard screams inside the consulate for two minutes. And then everything went silent. If she was outside there, why couldn't she hear those screams? There are many loose pieces to this puzzle that have yet to come together again so that we can see with clarity what is happening here. And then one of the 15 individuals, you know, there were 15 individuals who were there Who, this news comes out of Turkey, they say that he was dismembered, they began by cutting off his fingers, then they cut off his limbs and the rest of his body. And then some reports said they put the body parts in boxes and then took took them some places. Now the Turkish authorities are looking in three different places in the city where the body parts may have been either thrown into the water or buried beneath the surface. And then there's other reports said no, they eliminated that body by dissolving it in acid. This is done by those who say that they are the protectors of Mecca and Al Medina. These are Humat al Haramain al Sharifain who are involved in these crimes. And Muslims, you, I'm speaking to the Muslims who go and join the religious employees of that kingdom of evil which heart do you have in you to show that you are in a brotherhood with criminals you want the rest of the Muslims to be enemies of each other but you want to be brothers of criminals that's where we are today And then, today, and from the haram in Mecca, as sudais you know who that is? One of the main preachers there. Other sincere preachers from the haram were relieved of their responsibilities and thrown behind bars. This one still is out there with a vocal cord who's promoting his masters in a and in jiddah. He says today in the khutbah that his kingdom is a kingdom of principles and fixed values. Where? Show us. What are your principles? What are your fixed values? When the Secretary of State here, in the United States, goes over there, and then you, upon arrival, you pay him $100 million. And that said, for the anti-terrorism fund that belongs to the State Department, or for some project in rehabilitating the destroyed areas in Syria. And what does he say? He says to the Secretary of State, says to the King of Arabia, your future is on the line. Mr. Sudais in Mecca from the Haram. This is a person of principle. This is a wali Amr. This is an imam, like you call him from time to time, who reports and depends not upon Allah, but upon these types of superiors. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to show us the truth, as evident as the sun on a cloudless day and to have us identify al-batil in the day in the light of day and not have both of them confused in our minds and in our hearts اللهم إليك نشكو ضعف قوتنا وقلة حيلتنا وهوانا على الناس يا أرحم الراحمين أنت ربنا وأنت رب المستضعفين فإلى من تكلنا إلى غريب يتجهمنا أم إلى عدو ملكته أمرنا إن لم يكن بك علينا غضب فلا نبالي ولكن عافيتك هي أوسع لنا نعوذ بنور وجهك الذي أشرقت له الظلمات وصلح عليه أمر الدنيا والآخرة من أن تنزل بنا غضبك أو تحل علينا صختك لك العتبى حتى ترضى ولا حول ولا قوه الا بك ان الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا ايها الذين امنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وال محمد وبارك على محمد وال محمد كما صليت وباركت على ابراهيم وال ابراهيم في العالمين إنك حميدٌ مجيد بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والعصر إن الإنسان لفي خسر إلا الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر ومن أظلم من منع مساجد الله أن يذكر فيها اسمه وسعى في خرابها أولئك ما كان لهم أن يدخلوها إلا خائفين لهم في الدنيا خزي ولهم في الآخرة عذاب عظيم إن الله يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وإيتاء ذي القربى وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر والبغي يعظكم لعلكم تذكرون ولذكر الله أكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون وأقم الصلاة الله أكبر الله أكبر أحدوان لا إله إلا الله اشهد ان لا محمد رسول الله حي على الصلاه حي على الفلاح قد قامت قد قامت الله